Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jim. Um, let's go ahead and pass our baskets, if you wouldn't mind. Um, if, uh, if you have been thinking about, you know, making donations to the church, uh, it would be great for you to do that uh, as we approach the end of the year, which, can how is it November already? Isn't it just nuts? Um, but anything that's received uh, before the 31st of December would be counted towards your tax deductible gift, you know, this year. And I, honestly, I'm not exactly sure how the new tax thing is going to work out, you know, the new tax uh, laws, whatever. I'm not entirely sure because uh, the raising of the standard deduction and all that jazz. But you'll get a donation letter from us, you know, for whatever you give. And hopefully that's not the reason you give, you know, quite honestly, you know. Uh, hopefully you give because, you know, the Lord's inspired you to give and you want to give and to help this thing continue and for people to hear uh, what What's going on? Remember the family that was here a few uh, weeks ago from um, from Virginia Beach. You know they listen to the the podcast on occasion uh, on Sunday mornings with the little group that meets in their home. They they said when they were here, I asked them to introduce themselves. They said we have a home church. Our home church is in uh, Virginia Beach. And you know when you think of oh, this is my home church, you know like I would say like, we could all say that like this my home church is over. But like they are literal. Like, they meet in their home. It's a home church of half a dozen or, or to a dozen that uh, listen to our podcast, listen to uh, James uh, Barron's podcast on, from uh, Orlando, and they uh, celebrate the finished work of Christ. And so because of giving, it helps us do these sorts of things. Uh, so I really appreciate everyone who gives um, because it's a... Unfortunately, it takes money to make things happen. So we uh, really appreciate it. So if you have a, a, a smartphone and you want to follow along in the notes, remember we got the Bible app that's a free download. And you tap more, tap events, and you'll see everything that we're going to uh, look at today uh, on all the scriptures that are there. Yes, sir. I, I did already, and I will at the end if you don't mind reminding me at the end. Um, I did during the announcement time earlier. Um, but... Uh, I, I, I will at the end, but I'll probably forget. So please remind me. Um, so if, if you remember, I know some have been in and out for a few weeks. We, we are, this is actually the 11th week. I don't know if that means uh, we need to move on to something else or if this is really tracking with us. I've heard some really positive uh, feedback. I uh, don't really hear the negative feedback, you know, um, but if there is, you know, please let me know. But we've been looking at this, uh, this, this phrase, this uh, verse out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And, and it's so easy for us, as we've been talking about, to just sh- say that verse and, you know, we're good Christians, we know these verses. 
But I'm just tr thinking, let's, let's spend some time of figuring out exactly what that means. What does it really mean to walk by faith? What are some pictures, some examples of walking by faith? What is this dependency? What does it look like? And so what we, to, to try to do that, whether we're successful or not, I don't know, but what we've done is we've gone back through the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, and we have uh, asked the question, what is this revealing about Jesus? Our, our verse here, you know, we walk by faith, not by sight. We look at the scripture in Genesis, and we can see what the Moses wrote about, you know, he wrote about creation, he wrote about the fall, he wrote about the flood, he wrote about uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Esau, Rebekah. He wrote about all those things, those things you can see, the 12 sons, we're all the way up to Joseph. But what we're trying to do is say, okay, we, we know that's there, we've heard these stories our whole life, especially if we grew up in church, but what, is that all it's about? Is it just what we can see, or is there something that is being communicated below the surface, if you will, of a much bigger, much grander purpose that the Lord has hidden, this mystery that is hidden for us now, having seen the truth of what Jesus came to do, to encourage us in our faith. So Jesus tells the Pharisees, remember, he says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for Moses wrote about me. Remember, as he's going after his resurrection, up to Emmaus, the road to Emmaus, he reveals to some of the disciples on that road about how all of the Old Testament is actually about who? It's actually about Jesus. And so we see the sight, what you can read on the page, but we're just simply asking, okay, what is this about Jesus? What is this teaching us about our faith in him, about him and our faith in him? So we've gotten all the way up to Joseph, which is almost the end of Genesis. And we obviously, it's way too much to just try to, you know, summarize, you know, before we move on. So I apologize for that. So I encourage you to check out the podcast. That's what it's there for. But the big deal is there is a mystery hidden in the Old Testament. It's God's history. It's the history of what he did with people. But there's a mystery inside of God's history. And I believe that as we see this mystery revealed of Christ, who Paul says in the New Testament is the mystery, who was hidden and now made known, as we see this history revealed, this mystery revealed, I think it does nothing but just encourages and strengthens our faith, our dependency upon the Lord. When we see, wow, he's been doing this in mystery, in secret, in all these different forms from the very beginning but it's only until Jesus when it's been, oh, that's what Ephraim was about. That's what Manasseh meant. That's what all these real people, that's what it's really there for. So what we're just simply trying to do is to discover by faith what's really going on hidden in what can be seen. So we've picked up all the way to Joseph's life. If you remember, Joseph's a picture of the Christ. We talked about this last week, who was uh, hated, despised by his brothers. Remember that? He was hated because of his, right, his, his robe, a picture of that righteousness. He was hated, despised. He was thrown into the pit, a picture of death, just as Jesus was, uh, was, was put to death at the hands of his quote-unquote brothers, because they hated him, the children of Israel. And then the Ishmaelites, they came and they took him down to Egypt. 
And that while he was in Egypt, things went well. He went to Potiphar's house. He became uh, in charge, second in charge of all of Potiphar's stuff, which sounds like, hey, that's a pretty great, you know, uh, uh, outcome for getting thrown into that pit by his brothers. But then he was falsely accused, remember, by Potiphar's wife. We talked about this last week. And that uh, a cloak, a, a, a garment got him in trouble again because she grabbed his coat and he ran out. And then she used that coat to say, hey, look, he was in here trying to make sport of me. You know, it's just a really nice way of saying he was trying to take advantage of me. And so he gets in trouble by Potiphar. Potiphar, who's a captain of the guard, throws him into prison again. So it's, it's another picture of death. So he died, if you will, figuratively speaking, at the hands of his brothers. They thought he was dead. And he rose up to power, second in command of Potiphar's house. He even told Potiphar's wife that there's nothing more powerful in this house than me. In, in, in essence, including you. He was even more, had more authority than even Potiphar's wife. Then he was thrown into prison for false accusations for something he didn't do, which we see a shadow of the Christ who was crucified for something he didn't do. And now Joseph is in prison. Last week there was a baker and a cupbearer who were also in prison. And this baker and cupbearer, uh, they had dreams when they were in prison. And the dreams were the same dream, in essence, that the cupbearer would be restored to his place of service next to the king. And the, but the baker would be killed, be hung. And so the baker of bread died. The cupbearer, the one who had the cup of, 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 of wine for, the, for Pharaoh, would live. And we talked about what does that mean? Was that a shadow of what is that? What is the mystery hidden in this history? Well, I submitted to you that the baker dying is a shadow, a picture of how Christ himself took a body that must die, a body that was broken. His very body was broken, crucified, died. But the blood of Jesus, as pictured by the cupbearer, the blood of Jesus was sufficient to wash away the sin of the world that he became. And so the cupbearer being restored to his position at the right hand of Pharaoh is a, is a shadow, a foreshadow of us saying that the blood of Jesus actually worked. The blood of Jesus was more than sufficient to actually take care of the sin issue. The body was broken. The, the baker died. But the blood of Jesus was sufficient. The cupbearer restored. So we pick up in verse 21 just to wrap up chapter 40 as we springboard into chapter 41. Joseph's life is many, many chapters in Genesis. I want to say it's like 12 or 15 chapters and so we're we're not going to see every single thing in his life. It would be take a lot of Sundays. But we're going to try to hit 41 today. Craig is speaking next week on something that just is going to rock our our, our world. And then the week after, I'm going to try to finish up J- uh, Joseph's life, hopefully. So he restored, he, Pharaoh, restored the chief cupbearer to his office. And he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Remember the word hand in Hebrew actually means palm. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet, and here's the deal, springboarding us into chapter 41, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. 
Remember what Joseph said? He said, look, you're going to be restored. You're going to be back at the right hand. And he said, only please do me this favor. Please let Pharaoh know that I'm in here. I'm a Hebrew. I was taken from my land. I was falsely accused. I'm innocent. Please tell Pharaoh about me. Please remember me. Please do this in remembrance of me. But he forgot him. He forgot the work that Joseph had done for him. Chapter 40, the very next verse, 41, verse 1. Now it happened, look at this, at the end of two full years. So Joseph has been sitting in this prison. This dun- it's a house prison, I think. But he's been sitting in this prison for two full years. Pharaoh himself had a dream. So Joseph had a dream that his brothers and his mother and his father are going to bow down to him. The baker and the cupbearer have had dreams. Now Pharaoh's having dreams. And behold, he was standing by the Nile. And here's the dream. And lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat. Sleek and fat. That sounds well like, was it called oxymoron, right? Sleek and fat. In fact, if you have King James, uh, uh, it, it, I think it says something like desirably fat or something like that. My, how times have changed. <laughs> right? uh, the ESV says plump, uh, attractive and plump. Like those are my people right there, right? Attractive and plump. Um, but this is the description of the cows. They're, they're, uh, they, they, they're desirable and they're fat. They're, they're healthy. They're going to feed a lot of people. I just think that's funny. I don't have any revelation on that. Just I think that's funny. Sleek and fat. And they grazed in the marsh grass. Verse 3. Then behold, seven other cows came up from that. So you have these seven cows that are attractive and plump hanging out. And now you have seven other cows that came up from the Nile. Ugly and gaunt. They stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. This is a dream, okay? So I'll try to rationalize this out. Like, how could this happen? It's a dream. Then Pharaoh awoke. He woke up. What is this? Now, he fell asleep a second time. He fell asleep, and he dreamed a second dream, a second time. And behold, in this dream, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Plump and good. Then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. So you seemingly have this single stalk. You have seven good, plump and good Ears, of, uh, say ears, so to say, and then seven thin and scorched. 
The thin ears, yeah, ears, swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. Then Pharaoh woke, and behold, it was a dream. So we all together? We took our time on that because that's important to know what happens. Seven healthy, fat cows got eaten by seven thin and, 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 and uh, gaunt cows, but the cows didn't look any different after they ate the healthy ones. They didn't change how they looked. They were still ugly and gaunt. And the same with the ears of, of, of grain. Now in the morning, his spirit was troubled. So he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt. And, and these, these aren't like street performers, okay? When we think of like a magician, you know, a street performer. These are like, um, uh, they, they, they were the cult religious leaders of the pagan religious system. So let's don't think of like just, you know, harmless little, you know, magi- I mean, this, this is like, um, like, like, yeah, like pagan priests, if you will. All right. And all its wise men of Egypt, whoever could help out here. And Pharaoh told them the dream, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then, okay, here we go. The chief cupbearer, he spoke up. He said, hey, wait a minute. He says in awkward English, I would make mention today of my own offenses. I think what he's simply saying is, man, I totally messed up here. I forgot all about this guy, Joseph. And here he explains it. Pharaoh was furious with his servants. Oh, yeah, two years ago. And he put me in confinement with the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had a dream on the same night. He and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a young Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard. And we related them, the dreams, to him. And he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And as he interpreted for us, so it happened. In other words, what he said was going to happen, it actually happened. I was restored to my office, but he hanged him. The the, 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 The baker, thank you. He, he died. That's what the interpretation was for him. But the interpretation for me was restoration. And that's exactly what happened. So Pharaoh, wanting the answer to this dream, he sent and called for Joseph. And they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. So one place it talks about being a house. That, now this, I mean, this is very clear, a dungeon. And when he had shaved himself, so maybe it was like December 1, uh, somebody got that. All right, there you go. All right, there you go. Um, and, uh, and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. So imagine this. You, you've been in a dungeon for two years, and all of a sudden, you're in front of Pharaoh. How many times has Joseph been in front of Pharaoh that we know of? None. I mean, he might have like seen him when he was in charge of Potiphar's place, because Potiphar was, you know, captain of the guard or something like that, right? But but we don't know of any inter- interactions with Pharaoh. So you talk about uh, some pressure and especially what he's asked to do. So Joseph, uh, Pharaoh says to Joseph, uh, verse, verse 15, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. Who is no one? All the wise men, but also the what? 
the, the wizards, the, the soothsayers, you know, all of the magicians of Egypt. They, they, didn't, they didn't know. There was, no, there was no carnal wisdom that could interpret this. This was unfamiliar. This is a big deal. This was not of the realm of below, of the, de- of the devils. No one could understand this. No, this was not n- known to the religious system of Egypt, the pagan system. And I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Okay, so you're standing before Pharaoh. You've interpreted two dreams in your entire life. He's 30, right? He didn't really interpret his own dreams, I don't think, if I remember back. He just had to share the dreams, and they were pretty obvious. But he has a whole grand, like, history record of being 2-0. and o. But that's not a whole lot of experience before you stand before Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world at that time. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, kind of deflecting some of this pressure. He says, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So what I want to really focus on here is Joseph is saying, look, look, man, I'm not the source of this answer, but, but God is. I'm not the one who's going to, if you're looking for me to simply interpret something, then, hey, you know, we'll flip a coin and see if we get it right. But this is something that requires absolute dependency upon the Lord. Because if he answers it, then we're going to get an answer. But if he doesn't answer it, we're not going to get an answer. We have no idea. I just hear, uh, um, I said David, uh, J- Joseph declaring his absolute dependency. He's like, look, this is not me. I've been sitting in a dungeon for two years. Have you ever been in a high pressure situation for the very first time? All eyes on you? I mean, imagine this. Joseph standing there before Pharaoh. The pressure. Joseph knew the true source of interpretation. Now, I don't want us, and I've heard people do this, I don't want us to read this and and hear, um, I'm pitiful and worthless. I am nothing. God is everything. I I don't want us to read that here because I don't think that's what uh, Joseph is saying. There's New Testament versions of that, or at least in the Gospels, where where John, the baptizer, says, I must decrease, he must increase. This is scripture, sure it is. But what's taken, that's taken, to, and it's applied in the new covenant to us today, and saying there's something wrong with what? Me. In the new covenant, there's something wrong with me. Now, we hopefully know enough of the writings of the apostles in the New Testament to know that that, that, doesn't, that doesn't track because what the apostles in the New Testament say is say that what, there was something desperately wrong with me. Absolutely. And what happened to the me that something was desperately wrong with? Anybody? What happened to me? I died. That's right. I died. So that why? So that I could be freed from my union to the flesh. So that now as a new creation, I could be joined to whom? God himself. 
So here's what I'm getting at. I don't want us to read this passage, very innocent passage from the Old Testament, which says, it's not in me. It's not me. It's all, and, and, and I'll come away with it saying, oh, thank goodness I am, am pitiful, weak, useless, uh, a, a piece of junk in, in God. If we do that, we're not, we're not walking by faith and really believing what God has actually done to you. See, he's not just done something for us. We all know that. But he's done something to us. Let me ask it this way. In the new covenant, this might cause some, some ears to perk up. It did mine when I first heard this, contemplated this thought. In the new covenant, which is what we are in now, is self, for, for the believer, is self a dirty word? Let's think about that. Self. You. Is self a dirty word in the, new, in the new covenant? See, so many of us, I think, naturally would say, well, of course. I mean, I have all these sinful tendencies. I, you know, I, and we pull out John's passage, I must decrease, he must increase, which, first of all, is not even in the new covenant. But he's just talking about my lead and what's going on must decrease and what Jesus is about must increase. John was teaching baptism of sins for the, for, uh, for, for, um, uh, the guilt associated with sins. Jesus was talking about death and resurrection, a new life. What I'm doing, the last prophet of the old covenant must decrease because a whole new thing is coming. He must increase. But is self a dirty word in the new covenant? We've got to figure that out. Because if it is, then there's something wrong with you. Well, if there's something wrong with you in the new covenant, the new you, if there's something wrong with the new you, then well, how are you going to get that fixed? Get a new, new you? You see what I'm getting at? Now, does sin still live in your mortal body? Yes. Are its desires against you? Does this mind of yours and of mine still think sinful thoughts? Sure. But what I'm getting at is, who are you? Paul says in the New Testament, he says that... Uh, we are to put on the new self. We're to live by the new self. In fact, when he talks about financially contributing to the church in 2 Corinthians, he says that, that we are to search our heart to know how to give. Well, if our heart is wicked and deceitful, which it was before we were born of the Spirit, then why would he tell us to search our dirty, wicked heart to know how to give financially to the church? So I just want to take time to explain, let's don't read this and say, it's not in me. There's something wrong with me. First of all, jo Joseph isn't in the new covenant. I just don't want us to take this and apply it into today because I've heard it done too many times. If we were in the old covenant, we could definitely say, I am desperately wicked. Who can know me? As Jeremiah says about the heart. But the prophecy, the whole point of the new covenant was the taking out of that old stony heart and the injection of a brand new heart that's alive, that has the very desires of God etched on it. That's who you are. So in the new covenant, I submit to you, self is not a dirty word. Some say, well, well, didn't Jesus say, take up your cross daily and follow me? Um, if any man will come after me, he must deny himself. Didn't Jesus say that? That we must deny ourselves? So let's deny ourselves every single day. Yes, he said that. And when I was 13 years old, 
1993, October something, I came to the point where I realized, wow, myself is jacked up and can't handle this, can't do this. And so in 1993, Walt Davis denied himself, took up his cross, and followed Jesus. Where was Jesus walking when he said that in Mark? He was actually walking to Jerusalem to die. If you want to come after me, if you want to be a part of what I'm doing, you've got to deny what you got in the first Adam because, baby, a second Adam's here to give you what you can never get on your own. And so self in the new covenant I'm submitting to you is not a dirty word. Independence from the Lord is a dirty word. Independence, but not self. We are the new self. This is, in fact, what walking by faith is all about. It's knowing our new self who is righteous, holy, clean, blameless, yet not independent. We are 100% this new heart, 100% dependent upon the one who made us that way. So it is this beautiful relationship of the God of all creation who has created us as him, as he is, so are we now in this world, First John 4, who has created us righteous, holy, clean, and it's us growing ever so aware of just how dependent upon him we are for that and for everything that comes along with that. So the day in which we think, hey, I'm righteous, holy, and clean, independent from the Lord, that's not walking by faith. That's the dirty word. But self, who he has made me, is righteous, is clean. So let's embrace it. Let's don't reject who we now are. So Joseph, he's saying, this doesn't come from me. This, this interpretation, it comes from God. So I hear Joseph declaring his dependency upon the Lord. So Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, and here's the dream. We just read it. So we'll read it really fastly here. In my dream, behold, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. And behold, seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the Nile, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Lo, seven other cows. We say that, right? Lo. Lo, seven other cows came up from them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such as I had never seen for ugliness in all of the land of Egypt. And the lean and ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. Yet when they devoured them, it could not be detected that they were devouring them, for they were just as ugly as they were before. It didn't help. It didn't work. Then I awoke. Verse 22. I saw also in my dream, and behold, seven ears, full and good, came up on a single stalk. And lo, seven ears withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain this to me. And now we see all eyes going on this. We'll see it in a second. 30-year-old Hebrew boy who had not probably seen the sun in two years, pasty. So what say ye, Joseph? No pressure, buddy. The Lord obviously spoke to Joseph. And Joseph said, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven cows are seven years. 
And the seven good ears are seven years, the same seven years. In fact, the dreams are one and the same. Now, as we hear Joseph's interpretation of Pharaoh's dream, I want us, yeah, sure, to follow along in the history of what these dreams meant to them and what this is all about. But remember, all of this is actually about whom? Jesus. This isn't ultimately about Pharaoh and fat cows. This is ultimately about Jesus revealing about himself, about his work to us. So let's think on that as we read through this and see if maybe we come to a similar conclusion at the end. Verse 27. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are also seven years. And the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. It is as I have uh, spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, verse 29 Seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt. So remember the seven fat, plump, attractive and plump cows? That represents us a picture. He's saying that's, that's a, that means seven years of absolute abundance are about to come in the land of Egypt. And after them, after those seven years... Famine will come. How many years? Seven years. There were seven cows that ate the first seven cows. And here's the deal. The abundance of the first seven years will be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance is forgotten and the famine will be all that is seen. So the abundance will be unknown. I mean, he, he really makes a big deal about this. It's going to be so bad that the abundance that was is going to be unknown in the land because of the subsequent famine. For it, the famine, will be very severe. Now, let's take a time out. Let's think about this for a second. Abundance is going to be replaced by what? Famine. Plenty, having more than enough, is going to be replaced by need, by lack, by want. Favor, if you think of it that way, is going to be replaced by hunger. Who, in this, the answer is not Jesus yet. Okay, we'll get there. Who, in in this setting, in this story, was intimately aware, had intimate knowledge about having abundance, having plenty, having favor, particularly with his father. Joseph, right? Did, did, when was, he was 17, is that right? Did I remember that correctly? When A couple of weeks ago, he was the first 17 years of his life, plenty, favor, love more than all of his what? Brothers, remember that? So who has experienced that in this story? Joseph has experienced that, right? He knows what that looks like, feels like, tastes like, to have more than enough. He never went without. 
But also in this passage, who, who is it that was intimately aware of famine, hunger, need, rejection, emptiness? Who, who also was pretty familiar, intimately aware and knowledgeable of that? Who? Joseph. The pit. The dungeon. Who is intimately aware of what it really feels like to be forgotten? See it? Joseph. So this interpretation is very close to Joseph's very own what? Life, his very own experience, what he's been through. The abundance will be replaced by nothing. You will forget how abundant life was, King Pharaoh, because of how terrible the terrible is. And I think Joseph could kind of stand up and say, and I'll be a witness, because this happened to me. It's been two years since I sent that guy out to stand next to you, and I've been just sitting here growing a pretty awesome ZZ Top, you know, beard here. Forgotten. I have nothing. I can't even remember what it's like to sit at my father's table. Empty. You see that? Now, let's keep going because it gets gooder. Verse 32. Now, as far as the repetition, the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, that just simply means that the matter is determined by God and it will quickly be brought about. He's saying this is imminent. It's going to happen. The abundance is going to be forgotten and all you're going to have is nothing. Now, now, now up until this point, I mean, he's interpreting the dream, but Joseph transitions into giving some wisdom here. Check this out. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him, this man, over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him, he's coming up with a game plan, he's, he's presenting a, 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 a strategy, an investment strategy, and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. He said, we, we know this famine is coming, so let's, let's do something about it in the abundance so that when the famine hits, it's not going to be so bad. It's not going to be fun necessarily, but it won't be so bad. Then, verse 35, let him, them, gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store it up in uh, Store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard over it. So you have the Pharaoh, he's saying, he's telling Pharaoh, look, let's get some men, let's get some, uh, some teams together and let's harvest all this. And in each of these major cities, let's store all this food so that when the famine comes, we're going to be okay. Let the food become as a, re, uh, a reserve for the land. For the seven years of famine which will occur in the land of Egypt. So that the land will not perish during the famine. So it's not just about food for them. I hear him saying, like, let's pull this aside so that when the famine is over, we'll have some seeds to actually start over with again. Now the proposal, this investment strategy... It seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his servants. So during the famine, they will have food that no one else is going to have. 
We gotta, we gotta follow along, we gotta track here. During the famine, Egypt will have food that no one else is gonna have. During the famine, they, Egypt, will be sought after from people, we'll see in a second, from around the entire world. They will come to Egypt in order to buy food. No one else will have bread. No one else will have substance. No one else will have grain. Only Egypt. Egypt is going to have something that no one else is able to have because of this preparation that Joseph is suggesting. Can you imagine the rumors as the news traveled around the region once this famine hits? The rumors, everyone is growing hungry, everyone is starving, but they heard the good news that somebody down in Egypt has got some bread that could give them life when there's no life anywhere else to be lived. They can't eat rocks, but that's not going to help them out very much. That's all there is to eat. But there's someone down in Egypt who has food that nobody knows about. Do you see it? They have food that no one else has. Nothing on this earth during the seven years is able to sustain, to give life, but this one guy in Egypt. Egypt has storehouses in all their cities full of grain available to anyone who would come and buy. Does that sound like something else? Are we seeing something a little bit bigger happening here? Is there a mystery inside of this seven years of good, seven years of bad? I'm not talking about a seven years of tribulation. That's a whole other thing that, you know, we're not, we're not talking about. This. I'm talking about this time of good it's good, they store up, but during this time of famine and emptiness, nobody has any way to continue life. And they've forgotten how good good was, and unless they go to Egypt, they die. There's a greater famine that has devoured all former abundance to where it has been forgotten. There is a source of eternal sustenance from heaven bread from heaven that's available to any and all who would eat. Verse 38, let's keep going. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? Joseph said, hey, you should find a man who can lead this thing up. Can we, can we find a man like this in whom has a divine spirit? I mean, if that's not a shadow, I mean, come on. I got an extra hour of sleep and I can see that. <laughs> Who can do this? Who can make this happen? I hear Pharaoh saying. Who can provide bread for the hungry when there's nothing being produced in this entire land because of the famine? I, I didn't put it up on the screen, but if you want to look over at, at John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus, he goes to, to, to Samaria which is kind of a weird thing for Jews to do in the first place. And he talks with this woman at the well. And they have a conversation. She tells him things that, that, that you know, how could he know these things? And afterwards, after he has this encounter with this woman at the well, 
his disciples finally kind of meet up with him. And they said, Rabbi, look, it's been a long day. You should eat. Chapter 4, verse 31. But Jesus said to them, listen to this. Jesus said to the disciples, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. So the disciples were saying to one another, wait a minute. Did somebody bring him some food? Bartholomew, did you slip him a sandwich? What happened? How does he have food? He he didn't get any food. But Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. So what I'm seeing, and maybe I'm just wrong in seeing this, you can let me know. I'm seeing that what's happening here in Genesis 41 of seven years of plenty, where they store up all this food so that during seven years of nothing, Joseph himself has food that no one else knows of. Joseph himself has more than enough to give to whomever would come to him to give them the bread that they need for their families to continue. A shadow of Jesus Christ himself whose food we know nothing about apart from life in him. Food that is not eaten by the mouth, but a food that replenishes down to the depths of our soul. Verse uh, 39, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, well, hey, since nobody's volunteering for this, and since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you are. You, let's look at this, shall be over my house, and according to your command, my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in what? Garments. Here we go again. Clothed him in, in, in garments of fine linen and put a gold necklace around his neck. And he had him Joseph, ride in his second chariot, and they proclaimed before him. Envision, going through the streets of Egypt, bow and kneel. And he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, I'm not giving you Pharaohship, I'm still Pharaoh, yet without your permission, No one shall raise his hand or his foot in the land of Egypt. So again, this guy, yes, this morning woke up in prison, death, a picture of, and now has ascended, has risen, if you will, to second in command of the entire Egyptian world. Again, if that's not a picture of resurrection, death and resurrection, I don't know what is. Now look at this. If, if, if you're not convinced yet that Joseph is a picture of Jesus and that this storehouse that he's, this plan where people are going to come to him for bread, if, you, if you're not convinced, and that's okay. I'm not the most convincing person in the world. Look at this. Then Pharaoh named Joseph, all right, here we go, Zaphnath Panida. 
Pania, maybe. I don't know. I don't speak Egyptian. Zephanath Pania. Now, we've talked about how names mean something, don't we? we? We've talked about how Abraham means father of many nations. Isaac means laughter. We've talked about all these things, about how Rebecca uh, means uh, to join, being joined together, picture of the Christ and the church. We've talked about all these names and how they mean something, have meaning. We just saw Joseph coming from a dungeon death to resurrection, if you will, air quotes, resurrection to the second in command of all of the Egyptian world. And he's given an Egyptian name. Any clue about what this Egyptian name means? I didn't know this before this week. God speaks. God lives. God speaks. God lives. Why would Joseph be given the name God speaks, God lives? Well, maybe Pharaoh just, you know, having a, about to have a kid and is looking through all the baby name books. You know, hey, that's a cool name. I think it's because he is... Very, he's, the, the, the mystery hidden here in God's history is that this very same Joseph who was good as dead for over two years in this dungeon has now spoken for the Lord himself and now lives a shadow, a picture, a foreshadow of our very own God himself who went to, the, to death for us and us in him by faith and upon three days, not two years, rose from the dead and now speaks and now lives. And what does the Lord God speak to you and to me today? He speaks. It's finished. It speaks. Come to me. It speaks. I have bread that you do not know. But if you would come and eat of me, your soul will be satisfied. And you will never hunger. You'll never thirst. Do you see it? The Lord speaks. The Lord lives. And what did the Lord Jesus take, if you will, when he was risen from the dead? Scripture talks about uh, uh, Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and the church was born. The Lord took a bride, didn't he? Upon his rest. He couldn't take a bride before. We looked at this last week. How last week Joseph didn't take the first Egyptian woman because she was already taken. She already had a, a, a groom. She already had a, a husband. He didn't take the first Egyptian woman just as Jesus didn't take the, the first Adam because we were taken. We were enslaved to sin itself, the flesh. But upon his resurrection, we've now, we're now available. And so the Lord took a wife. I mean, uh, Pharaoh, uh, Joseph took a wife just as the Lord did. And so he named him, he named Joseph, God speaks and God lives. And he gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, as his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. I mean, is it just me? Are we seeing, man, this... This is incredible. Now, does this make us just sort of, again, like I've said before, make us get the right answers the next time we play Bible trivia? Is that what this is about? No, it's for us to learn and to see about how great and how dynamic and how the heart of the Father has always been. 
for his son to die as Joseph was seen in prison and to rise to take a bride. Now, Joseph, verse 46, we just have a few more verses, was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 30 years old. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. And what were the people being told to do as he was riding in the second chariot? Oh, yeah. Bow and what? Kneel. Man. Every, what? Knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. I think there's a mystery hidden here in God's history. During the seven years of plenty, here's the plan, remember? The land brought forth abundantly, abundantly, abundantly. So he gathered all the food from these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and he placed the food in the cities and he placed in every city the food from its surrounding fields. So every city had the storehouse that was guarded. You couldn't just go in and get it. You had to go to Joseph, to Joseph's, I guess, elders that he said earlier in order to gain access to it. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring for it was beyond measure. Now look, these are the same Egyptians who built what? The pyramids. I'm going to go out on a limb. I wasn't alive during that time period. But I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to assume that Egyptians are pretty good mathematicians to be able to build these, uh, what do you call them, P- uh, pyramids, right? I mean, how they, we still don't even know how they did it. So these Egyptians who built all these pyramids, now granted, was it at the exact same time as this? I don't know, but it's the same people. They were mathematician enough to build pyramids, but they can't measure how much grain is in the storehouses? Does that not give us a picture of the abundance that is there in supply waiting for people to come and what? Ask. Waiting for famine, for people to realize, you know what? Uh, This dust in my cereal bowl is getting really old by now. I need something else. I need something better. Oh, I've heard about Joseph. You know, his new name, the Lord lives, the Lord speaks. He's got something. Let's go down to him which I'm getting ahead of myself. That's two weeks from now. That's exactly what his brothers do. That's exactly what the brothers do in two weeks. So now before the year of the famine came, the years, it's seven years, remember, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. So he had two kids. We're just going to introduce the idea of this because in two weeks we're going to talk about what this really is all about. The first born was named Manasseh. Manasseh, the first born. For, Joseph said, God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. So remember the dreams. The dreams were... Seven years of plenty, but the famine is so bad, you're going to forget the plenty. And what Joseph is saying, my oldest boy, the preeminent son that I have, I will name him, forget all my troubles, for I have forgotten my father's household. 
Manasseh means making me to forget. Forget. I have forgotten. It is forgotten. My troubles are forgotten. 52. He named his second uh, Ephraim. Ephraim. I'm sure in the, in the Hebrew. But Ephraim. For, he said, Ephraim means something. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Ephraim, guess what? It means fruitful, multiply, abundance, more than enough. So his two sons, the oldest, Manasseh means forget all of my troubles, forget all of my pain. And then comes fruitful, abundance, more than enough. Now, let's just again put our, what does this revealing about Jesus glasses on for a second. When Jesus hung on the cross, what was, according to the scriptures, forgotten? All of your what? Sins. All of your troubles. All of your iniquities. All of your uh, 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 failures. Forgotten. How you, forgotten? Really, Walt? Well, Hebrews chapter 10. The Holy Spirit himself testifies. In this new covenant, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. No more. So your sins on the cross were forgotten. And then upon his resurrection and upon your faith in him, what are you now given? Abundance, life, fruitfulness. You see that? I have come, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, fully. So let's see these grain storehouses so much so that no one, even the people that built the stinking pyramids can count it, it's so much. And that is now in you. The bread of heaven, the life of God himself, Come to set you free from your troubles of your sins to now give you a fruitful, abundant life in him. Death and resurrection. When the seven years of plenty, uh, which had been in the land of Egypt, came to an end and the seven years of famine became just as Joseph had said. It happened just like he said. Then there was a famine in all the lands. But in the land of Egypt, there was bread hidden that no one knew about but there was bread so when the land of Egypt was famished the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians go to Joseph and what was his name go to the Lord who lives who speaks go to God who lives whatever he says to you you shall do. This is the last, last two verses. Look at this. When the famine was spread over the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Verse 57. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. 
Now let's, let's see this here. It wasn't just the one nation that this provision was for. It wasn't just for the one group of people, the Egyptians, that this storehouse was for. That's what they might have thought it was for in the beginning. Hey, we're going to be okay because we're Egyptians. But what they might not have seen is that this is actually for the whole what? World. Does that not sound familiar? The pride, understandably, of the Israelites. We are the chosen one. This is for us. We, 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 us, us, us. You mean this is for the what? The Gentiles? Well, let's make sure they become Jews first. No, this is for the world. This bread from heaven. So what is the point? What, 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 how can we wrap this up and, and head out today? Here's our journey marker. And I'll explain it. We'll wrap up. Walking by faith is depending upon Jesus regardless of the situation. Okay, and let me explain what I mean. Who did Joseph depend upon when the baker and the cupbearer shared their dreams with Joseph? Who did jo- Joseph depend upon? The Lord, the Lord God. He said, quote, to the baker and to the cupbearer, he said, quote, do not interpretations belong to God? In other words, This is all him. If he doesn't answer it, there's not going to be an answer. Yet, think about it. What was the implication or what what was the consequence at that point of Joseph getting that dream wrong? I mean, would anything have happened to Joseph if he got their dreams wrong? No. He's already in prison. They're in prison. I mean, it's nothing. Yet, in the nothing, in the seemingly nothing, who was he depending upon? The Lord. You see that? Now, who did Joseph depend upon when Pharaoh shared his dream with Joseph? The same person. He was depending upon the Lord. He said, quote, it's not from me. It is from, it is God who will answer you, Pharaoh. So whether it was the inconsequential nobodies, the who are already in trouble, or whether it was Pharaoh himself, Joseph's dependency was upon the Lord regardless of the situation. Here's what I want us to see as we wrap up. We tend to get focused on depending upon Jesus when the stakes are high, don't we? Sickness, career issues, income issues, relationship issues, husband-wife struggles. That's when we say, hey, man, we need to depend upon the Lord here. But what I see Joseph giving us a picture of is complete dependency upon the Lord regardless of the situation. And that's exactly what Jesus did on earth. Jesus was a model. He lived in absolute dependency upon the Father. He modeled it for us. So as Jesus lived in absolute dependency upon the Father in the big things and quote the little things, we now live in dependency upon Jesus in the big things and in the little things. What if we learn to not depend upon Jesus simply in the times that we're standing in front of our Pharaohs? What what if we learn to depend upon Jesus not just in those times when, when it's a life and death situation, but what if we learned to depend upon Jesus during the most inconsequential times of life when a couple of food prep guys are standing in front of us? Do you see what I'm getting at? 
You see what I'm saying? If we're not able and willing to live independency upon Jesus in the inconsequential times, then are we really living independency upon him in the big times? I think it's, I, I just don't think it's, we're going to go by our own effort and our own strength, our own abilities in these times down here where it's not that big of a deal. But when it's, you know, life is on the line, then now we're going to be living independence. That's just not how the new covenant works. Walking by faith is dependency upon Jesus. When? When? Yeah, when? Life is, walking by, by faith is dependency upon Jesus. I don't think there is a, it's, it's all the time. And that's what's so difficult for us because we can, we can do things. We can pull stuff off. We can pull things together. But if we are operating independent from Jesus, then we're not walking by faith. Now, Joseph named his firstborn forget, and his secondborn he named fruitful. Forget my troubles was to Joseph greater than fruitful abundance. And we get that, right? We, we get that. The ending of our, of our troubles and then the abundance. We get that. Death, resurrection. We get that. But in two weeks, you have to come back we see a dramatic twist where Jacob, Joseph's dad, Jacob, he blesses the two boys, but he blesses them in reverse, saying that abundance is greater than forget the troubles. So the second born, Ephraim, becomes greater than the first. We'll see that in a few weeks of why that is and what that means and what that implications that is for us today. So my hope is that we see that this dependency, it's regardless of the situation, whether we're standing in front of cupbearers and and cake makers or Pharaoh himself, we are living in absolute dependency upon Jesus regardless of the situation. For that's walking by faith. Otherwise, if we're not living in dependency upon him, then we're not walking by faith. We're walking by sight. We're walking by our ability. We're walking by what we can do, what we can bring to the table. Any thoughts or questions or uh, comments about what maybe you saw? Maybe you see the, the two things of the seven years in the storehouse or something completely different, something better, something else, or maybe you just have a question or a thought that you'd like to share before we head out. I'd love for you to Throw out a thought. Anybody? Yeah. So just, just thinking about, I mean, uh, looking into the mystery and, and seeing the uh, relationship with Jesus is great and all, but there's probably also a, because the Bible does this, there's probably also a surface, uh, shallow thing about this, too, that's that we sort of kind of glossed over, yeah. which is the in times of abundance uh, store for times of... Uh, yeah. No doubt, yeah. It's very tempting and probably tempting for them as well to say, hey, look at all this grain we have. Let's have a lot of parties and yeah. lots of beer and yeah. uh, do all the, all the things you do with grain. And, yeah. Uh, so I would say saving a fifth of your stuff at any time is probably a good, healthy, long-term plan. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't, don't disagree with that at all. Absolutely. And not, not just for you, right? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. That's the other part of it. Not just for you in the time of famine, but so that others yeah. may come to you in their time of famine. Yeah, a blessing. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just thought it was uh, interesting that um, Joseph's bride that Pharaoh gave him was um, 
not of the lineage of that the bride was not of the lineage of um, the Hebrews. Israel, yeah, mm -hmm. um, the, the Hebrew lineage, and so that kind of is, um, in my opinion, it could be like a representation of uh, just that um, that Christ's bride isn't just um, one people, right? It's it's mm -hmm. everybody. Yeah, at this point. Well, so right. all the, the Gentiles are yeah. accepted now. Yeah, also unfavorable, but it's not acceptable. Like, yeah. Yeah, and, but once she became joined to him, they became one. Yep. And so it didn't matter what she came from because she became one with him upon marriage, upon union with him. And so that's like what I think I hear you say. He, he, he being God, came into himself another, another species, another people, you know, humanity, right. and brought to himself a bride. As a man, it's just awesome. Yeah, cool. Any other thoughts or comments? Or pretty neat, though, huh? I mean, when we see what's a, a, a smidgen, right? A smidgen, 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 a smidgen of what's going on behind the scenes. You know, it's awesome. Yeah. Maybe I'm just being goofy, but like a symbol, symbolic just picture of us reaching up to the Father. Mm. I mean, she had total faith in you as you went over to her. Mm -hmm. we, we, we planned that. Yeah, we planned that. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Anything else, Jim? As you were explaining these things, which I did not see Jesus in, as you explained them, my inner man welled up within me. My heart burned. I don't know if anybody else experienced the same thing. Yeah, I didn't see it, but as you explained it, I saw it. Right. My inner man welled up. Right. Yeah. A good one. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree 100%. Yeah. It's, it's just asking the question, what is this? See, I never did that. I have uh, an undergrad in religion and two masters in religion. And, and never was any part of that study the Old Testament with the question of what is this revealing about Jesus? It was uh, study the Old Scripture to determine whether you're a covenantalist or a what is it? Dispens I don't even know the words anymore. Dispensationalist or whether, you know, like all these theological, you know, positions. Never was it just simply revealing about the Christ. And it's just, it's literally on every page. It's, it's amazing. I'll, yeah. Just two other comments about symbolism that, that you talked about. When everything that the Pharaoh was doing was actually putting, um, putting Joseph as, at his right hand. He was making mm. him the yeah. right hand of the king. Yeah, absolutely. And I was reading, there's some uh, Egyptian translations of the name as Savior of the Age or Savior of the World. Oh, that's even more so, yeah. Which is yeah. interesting. Yeah, Egypt is a very difficult language, Egyptian, because I don't even know how, like, how the original, how Moses even wrote that out. Like, did he write it in hieroglyphic? Did he write it in, like, I don't even know. I'm sure he, like, transliterated it into Hebrew. So there's a lot of 
what gets lost and what gets... Um, I'm listening to a podcast by a, a, a Jewish guy who became a believer when he was studying to be a rabbi. And the things that he brings out from, from some of the Hebrew is just incredible. And I really have enjoyed him. Uh, uh, Aaron Budgen, B-U-D-J-E-N, I think, something like that. Really, really neat. Um, and he believes in the new covenant, the finished work of Christ. There's some things I'm like, Mm, okay, well, I don't know. I don't have a word from the Lord on that one, but other things just like rock on, right on, brother. You know, it's good stuff. Cool. Anything else? Really appreciate you guys. Uh, let me remind everybody on your way out that we have a little sign-up list over here next to the water for next week. Um, if you want to bring something, hopefully you, you do, to the, um, to the lunch. We'll be meeting here at 10 o'clock like normal, and then we'll head over to the house um, Right afterwards, or you know, right after, or if you need to go home and get your food or whatever, just shortly thereafter. But if you have an idea of what you want to bring, uh, it'd be great if you could jot that down so that April, as she's kind of preparing, she makes sure we have enough, you know, going on for everybody. Um, anything else for the good of the order? Order the good. I think we can say that the Lord loves you. I think we can look at this and say, "Wow, He has been about this for a long, long time." And his wisdom, the wisdom of God, is now being revealed, Paul says, by this thing of the church. It was all hidden, but it's now been revealed that he is bringing together every single color under the sky in humanity into one new thing, the church. And all of it was hidden, shadows, pictures, mystery. But now it's been revealed so that not only you can know it, but that you should know it because this is getting to know the very heart of God. And that, that's, I think, maturity, getting to know him, who he truly is and not what religion paints him a picture to be. So let's stand up and be closed with a word of prayer. Father, we, we do thank you so much for today. I, I, um, I, I'm overwhelmed with just as Jim was praying earlier, just gratitude and thanksgiving for, for this is everywhere. You are the bread of, you, you, you not only are the one who has come to make the bread available, like Joseph, who made it available by his wise investment, all those things. So you're not only one who made it available, but you are actually the bread itself. It is you that we eat and drink and live dependent upon. As the world came to Joseph to depend upon Joseph for life, Father, we come to you, not just in the big times, but in every time, every time, all the time, in a growing awareness of just how dependent we are upon you. Thank you so much for what you've done. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. 
This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.